Hello, and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Lorelai Weissel. I'm Brian Dawes. I'm Carrie Thomas. And I'm Jenny Barrow. Jenny, welcome to the podcast. This is your first time on, so uh, why don't you uh, introduce who you are? Hey, so um, I'm, first of all, you guys may remember Ashley. I'm her twin who? sister. Yeah. Who? Yeah, I'm the, I'm the, <laughs> I'm the better one. Oh, no. Oh, boy. I think Uh-oh. we can all agree I'm the the nice one, as well as the, uh, anyways. We're going to start twin discourse. <laughs> um, so um, I've been a longtime Vorthos. I've been playing since Return to Ravnica, uh, which I guess Lorelai might say is a newbie. Like, I've been playing since 8th edition, and I'm pretty sure Brian has been playing longer than me, so yeah. Yeah. Really? I didn't know that. Um, So, Zendikar was the first set that I really, really got into, and um, it's also kind of what got me into Commander. The first card I ever bought was Nisaravane, so I'm really excited that we're going back to Zendikar again, and um, I'm really happy that this turned out so well, and kind of glad that we're getting to see a little bit more of... uh, Anawan as well. Yeah, you're 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 a big Anawan fan, which is uh, <laughs> basically uh, you know what you're here for. Because we got an Anawan story to talk about in the second half of this episode. Because we are in uh, week four of our magic story stuff, so we have uh, part four, the main story, and then the fourth side story, which is the last side story. Uh, so next next week we'll finish out with the last main set story talk about that one itself and then kind of talk about this whole process and new thing and basically do an overview for the entire set and so uh stay tuned for that but uh first we have a quick short bit of news which is uh i don't i'm pretty sure we announced it earlier but you know news outlets have finally been talking about uh a new a new vorthosy book a new art book uh, called Magic the Gathering Legends, A Visual History. This is uh, an, a smaller art book filled with all kinds of art and limited details about legendary peoples from throughout magic history. And it's uh, it's uh, got uh, two authors here, Jay and Ellie. Uh, I don't know who they are, but uh, <laughs> Jay and Ellie wrote this book and it is out october 27th so if you like art books uh if you liked uh what was the one that came out last year rise of the gatewatch i think it was called yes rise of the gatewatch this is uh another another in that kind of series so uh i'm excited for it it's going to coincide with commander legends uh preview season so look for that in a couple weeks Oh, we were very, very ready for this one. Well, because it was originally planned to be out in July, which I thought was strange since Commander Legends wouldn't be out until like one of the last, it it was planned for like the end of 2020. So yeah, I was just planning on it much earlier, but now it's kind of got a more timely release matching up with Commander Legends. So I'm happy about that too. Yeah, if there's uh, one thing that's been true about this year, it's uh, it's been an absolute shit show. <laughs> <laughs> that's the truth. Um, mm. We we have uh, in in our in our live listener chat, we have someone suggesting we get the authors uh, on the podcast for an interview. So uh, you know that that would be interesting. We should get Jay and Ellie uh, uh, on here sometime. I I would enjoy that. That would be a, a cool thing to do for the. Show. I think we're lucky because he probably doesn't listen to these episodes, but if he does. He definitely doesn't. Definitely doesn't. <laughs> That's kind of the only news thing uh, to mention. So we're going to start with the first uh, story this week, which is our, our fourth main series story titled Of Haunting Songs and Whispered Warnings. This picks up immediately after last week's story, which ended... Uh, where the trailer did with Nahiri taking the lithoform core back from Akiri and booping her off a cliff. And she's now free-falling. She's probably going to die. Yeah, I thought it was a grim way to start the story, her just dying. But, you know, moves on right afterwards. Yeah, as as she's falling, she's contemplating death. And, uh, you know remembers Zareth's dead face and is like, no, 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 no. I'll be with him soon. I'm going to remember him being happy and smiling. 
Uh, and, and her heart is full of love for Zareth, and she accepts her fate. And then she's like, hey, death is a lot more uh, chill. Cal- calm and chill <laughs> than I expected. <laughs> she opens her eyes, and she's been caught by a series of vines. And uh, Nissa and Jace are climbing up this uh, branch and vine ladder that Nissa has been building. And, and she kind of just reaches out and saves Akiri and brings her over to the ladder and... You know, she she doesn't get to die, which is very exciting because I was worried that they were going to kill her, which is yeah. a shame because she's pretty. <laughs> like she and Zareth got a lot of narrative time in the side stories and the previous stories and they killed Zareth, which like we, we knew was going to happen since the trailer. So like I would feel really bad if we spent all these times with both these characters and they both died. Um, but Akira gets to live. Hooray. Uh, which is pretty impressive she's she's a zendikari native so she first appeared in flavor text in in the original block uh so she has she has survived three blocks of zendikar basically which is impressive on a plane that is so dangerous so she she talks to nissa and jace and like learns that uh them and here are all planeswalkers and she gets grouchy about planeswalkers coming in and wrecking up her which world. is justifiable yeah no it like None of Akiri's thoughts are, like, out left field. She has good reasoning to be cranky about everything that happens from here on out, which is a lot of things to be cranky about. So wait, does that make Akiri the new Joda for the for Zendikar? <laughs> uh, maybe. She's Zendikari Joda. I'll buy it. Joda's pretty. <laughs> she's a little younger, but... Uh, Give it time. I, might, I don't think she's going to last that long. Uh, <laughs> So uh, while while she gets to unfortunately know uh, Nissa and Jace, they sight Nahiri coming down from the Skyclave. And uh, there's a, a small little skirmish of what limited ability can be had between the two parties. Um, Jace uh, sits there and concentrates and, and gets into Nahiri's head a little and she stumbles, but not after she throws a giant boulder at him. And Jace <laughs> being not very athletic and focusing on his mind magic almost gets hit until Nahiri or uh, Nahiri geez see we're doing the mix-up thing again and by we are I mean I'm uh uh Akiri yeets him off the ladder so he doesn't get hit by this boulder and then dives down after him throws a line back up to the ladder and swings him back around and saves him which is pretty awesome yeah so Nahiri goes uh sprinting off to the cliffs like litho forming all this debris to make a path for her through the canopy, which is awesome. And uh, so Nis is like, hey, wait, we don't need to go up anymore. Time to dash that way. And she she uses her vines and uh, Akiri Spider-Man's with Jace, which like Jace just hangs off of her as she <laughs> swings through the canopy. And uh, they end up losing Nahiri, but... You know, Jace peeked inside her mind and knows where she's going, which is uh, the Singing City, which is a location on Marasa. It's a, a ruined city with this mysterious song that is always playing in it that is uh, known to drive people mad. Uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of goblins who uh, are known as the Song Mad Goblins who roam the ruins and stuff. But uh, Jace reveals a critical piece of information that these mysterious ruins that nobody knew why they existed are, are actually a city built by the ancient core, the, the Makindi Empire. Uh, so Nahiri knows that this is a location to take the Lithoform core because it's her people who built the city. So Jace is like, hey, we should all go. And Akiri is like, nah, I just watched... Like, the person I care about most in the world die. I don't know where my other party members are. This is all bullshit. You all suck. I'm going home. And Nissa is like, no, Jace. I can get there faster on my own. She just books it. <laughs> um, which is reasonable. Because if I was an athletic druid who was at one with the world, uh, I would not let a dinky little nerd boy slow me down. I mean, that's what she spent the entire Teeth of a Coom novel doing, though. Letting Shh. a little nerd boy slow her down. Shh. <laughs> we don't, we don't, we don't speak of, of uh, What is this book you speak of? Oh, I forgot oh, no, I had that shock caller that shocks me every time I 
talk about that book. No, it's it's been funny watching you uh, talk about it on Twitter. I see where you read it because it's yep. just... funny for you, maybe psychic damaging to me. I think I'm un- unraveling a little bit. Uh, well, it's, it's you know it's an easy mistake to make. This is Nissa Ravine who's having this experience, and you're reading a book about Nissa Ravine, who's a different character. <laughs> um, she's actually spelled two, two, three, three different ways in that book. Jeez. Yeah, I remember notably it's the first chapter and the last chapter at the very least are the two significant parts that misspell her name, which is, uh, I mean, the pro- arguably the two most important parts of the book. Yeah, exactly. It's not just the first chapter, but the first line of the first chapter, the first word is her name spelled wrong. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so she books it. She leaves the party. And Jace is like, look, Akiri, I know that you're worried. And look, I don't want Nahiri to use the lithoform core any more than you do. I want to take it to Ravnica, this other world, and so I can study it and see what it actually does and figure out how it works. And Akiri is like, hey, that's a bunch of planeswalker babble and I don't understand, but if it means that the core is not on Zendikar, I will begrudgingly take you to the gates of the Singing City, and that's it. And, uh... Our, our only little hint that Aura and Kaza survive is that Jace senses two life forms down in Sunder Bay and is like, I can't confirm that they're your friends, but it's two people who are alive down there, which means it's a good chance it's your friends. So uh, so, so he and uh, Akiri head to the Singing City. I would like to posit that uh, there was not enough attention paid to the fact that uh, while they were swinging back to uh, the singing city there had to be some some holding on to of akiri by jay so i'm like hmm interesting uh amazonian amy the amazonian has some interesting thoughts on that and it's it's amusing so you should check that out akiri and jay spider-man kiss when exactly <laughs> Akiri deposits jesus at the singing city uh she barely talks to him the whole trip and so he, uh, almost immediately after he wanders in, he encounters Nahiri. And uh, for a split second, thinks things are going to be okay. And then uh, Nahiri, who is eternally grouchy and stubborn and mean, attacks him and dashes deeper into the labyrinthine halls and streets of, of the ruins. And so uh, Jace and Nahiri go on this chase sequence uh, deeper into the city and the farther they go the louder the singing gets and the farther they go the harder it is to think and the farther they go the more their minds ache gets to a point where they are both just like crippled on the ground by the psionic interference from the city and then jace is like hey wait a sec i'm a mind mage and casts this silencing spell that dulls the singing and kind of restores sanity to his mind. And uh, he makes the sphere large enough to en- encompass Nahiri, who, uh, now that her life, question mark, has been saved by Jace, is like, fine, Jace, I will talk to you. And uh, she agrees that she, like, yeah, I got no idea how the core works. I'm just going to do the thing. And explains that there is a device at the city center that connects to the ley lines of Zendikar. And it, if she uses the core, she can quell the royal across the entire plane all at once. Which is terrifying. And um, Jace is like, hmm, hey, maybe not a good idea. We could take this to Ravnica and figure out how it works first. And here he's like, haha, Jace, I'll kill you if you try. Which she would. Uh, so Jace begrudgingly goes along with her and thinks, hey, maybe there's a way that I can stop this, you know, while we're traveling or when we get there. But it doesn't matter because they get to the center of the city and there's this like little gazebo thing in the middle that uh, Nahiri needs to put the core into it's uh not manitarka what a dig look i'm sorry if you're getting attacked by fireballs and you're 
course of action. Physically in the form of a gazebo, you should probably not be in the form of a gazebo. (laughs) Exactly. Like, it's such an absurd part of that book, too, because it's just like, yeah, like, me and my companions are just chilling on this plane, and also I'm in the form of a gazebo. Like, there's some cool analysis to be done of, like, a planeswalker just taking, like, an entirely non-physical or a non-animate form. But at the same time, it's just, like, planeswalker BS, you know? That's just what you did. Anyway, so <laughs> they get to this gazebo thing. Ha! It turns out it's already destroyed. And this is where we get our nice little Save the Earth speech from Nessa, who has showed up with a whole army of elementals, including Ashaya, uh, who we have not seen in the story yet. But this is this is Nissa bringing forth everything. She is she has gotten here first. She has destroyed this mechanism. Nahiri thinks she can rebuild it. Uh, she probably can. She's a lithomancer. Uh, but Nissa is not interested in having a discussion, and she gets really disappointed with Jace. And so there's a fight. Story of our lives. Wait, which is the story of our lives? Someone's disappointed with Jace. Uh, it, he just, like, he can't catch a break. He's always getting himself into trouble. And so, you know, Jace is explaining, like, hey, I've seen what Nahiri plans to do. There's a version of this that's actually not a bad idea. Without the royal, Zendikar becomes safe, and its people can, like, build cities and, like, all this trade and art and commerce and exploration can happen in safety compared to what it is now. And that's pretty good, right? And this is like, no, you dumbass. Uh, and uh, fights them. They uh, start running and escaping back out of the city. Uh, Nissa does not follow them, though. She disappears. And so uh, this story ends with Nahiri and Chase reaching the exiting gates of the singing city and are like yes we're gonna make it except Nah, uh, except god now i'm getting nahiri and nissa confused in my head. too many ends nissa has made it all the way to the gates first and is standing outside them with her elemental army and says you're not going anywhere you're not leaving this city i am destroying the core and i'm going to stop you because i defend zendikar and zendikar defends me And this plane is at my command, so get ready to get your asses kicked. I'm one with the Zendikar, and the Zendikar is with me. I'm one with the Zendikar, and the Zendikar (laughs) is with me. Yeah, I mean, basically. So that's that's where the story ends, with kind of set up for a final battle. Which, gosh, I wonder what next week's story will be about. Combat! (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it'll be about Mortal Kombat, which means Rambo will be there. slight aside i did see a funny tweet about mortal kombat 11 that said it was like super smash brothers except your dad picked all the characters (laughs) (laughs) yeah which is very funny um but yeah this story like we saw hints of the conflicts between all of these characters and you know we we finally got to the moment where jace is like hey, maybe Nahiri's plan isn't so bad, which, you know, I I feel like Jace went from not being trustworthy of anyone to being too trusting. Like, this definitely feels like a moment where he is overcorrecting his his trust in Nahiri's vision because he knows Nahiri isn't a good person. I I really feel like Nahiri is going... has good intentions but is going about it the literal worst way possible like instead of building bridges she's just she's trying to destroy them because she wants to do things her way or the highway right so i think there was an opportunity in there for jace to like he shared someone's thoughts with somebody else before and i feel like this was a chance to do that and help them come to an understanding of a a peaceful way to both of them get some kind of semblance of their vision of zendikar and and meld them in a in an amicable manner like i i don't think that nahiri and nissa were making it easy for him but i i do think that the possibility was there for him to do that and uh, i feel like he was kind of and he was not in a great place, but there was an opportunity there that was kind of missed. 
I was um I was disappointed that Jace was able to extend this trust to Nahiri that he wasn't able to extend to his friend Nissa. He wasn't able to trust that he might not understand her methods here, but that she knew what she was doing. Yeah, and like I think he understands he messed up talking to Nissa. And you know, maybe that is also partially where this overcorrection with Nahiri is, where like, oh, I didn't listen and trust Nissa when I should have. I really should have done that. And then he encounters Nahiri's issues and says, oh, you know, I screwed up things with Nissa earlier. Uh, I'm not going to make the mistake with Nahiri here. Um, I'm going to try and listen this time, uh, which is maybe the wrong place to learn that lesson. Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of ways in which Jace is his own worst enemy, which is one of the things I really like about him as a character. And watching him try to be helpful and empathetic and be a good listener and a good friend while also being the socially awkward puzzle-solving dweeb that he's always been at the same time and watching those two parts of him just, like, completely mess everything up is, like really endearing and also really human um i i really like just kind of the whole disaster that jace is in this set yeah it's the painful like i quit television shows because not that that they use this trope so much but it's just like oh well you you learned your lesson but you learned it with the wrong person i'm like no no do not go with that person i cannot watch another episode of this going down yeah i like the singing city I like the flavor that it was built by Robert Wintermute. Um, <laughs> it fits perfectly with his past writing and what he did to his readers. So, oh man, wow, that explains that a lot. Shade. <laughs> it, it legitimately is like reading in the teeth of a coon. <laughs> oh man, now I now I understand why I can't leave. Yeah, yeah and, and I think like. When I was reading the story, I definitely thought of Friday by Rebecca Black being played on repeat over and over and over again. Is what they were listening to. This is the torture zone. You do not get out of it. But honestly, like, the not rehabilitation, but rewriting of all all the wacky shit that was on Zendikar 1.0 that kind of got ignored in Zendikar 2.0 to then get, like, brought back for Zendikar three all of that was like i mean we touch on we'll touch on this in the end one story but like all of that was like mistakenly chalked up to eldrazi civilization that definitely definitely existed the first time around and then they had to like revise some of that the second time around and now that we're getting back to it the third time around they're just like who are we going to attribute to uh these lithomancers and the ancient core and they were just like doing kind of crazy crap all over zendikar i buy it diegetically so, if, like, the Zendikari knew the Eldrazi existed. There are, they worship them as gods. There are statues of them. Uh, it's clearly a word that Anawan knew. Because Nahiri was of the Makindi Empire and built the Hedrons, there are a lot of visual similarities between the Hedrons and Makindi architecture. So, like, if you didn't know any better, which nobody did, you would have thought that these things were all built by the same civilization, which, when you look into the myths of the world, you might believe were this ancient Eldrazi civilization. And then things go bad and you start to learn the truth and you start to revise your archaeological ideas. It feels very grounded in the exactly. way a lot of science works. Um, especially like like archaeological stuff. Like you you go back and you you learn about things and you know you maybe you uncover a dig site that opens up a whole bunch of information of, that you didn't know before and connects a bunch of things and, and stuff like that. While you know on a production level the reason this exists is because things weren't very well defined in the original Zendikar and the way uh, Brady built worlds led to stuff like this happening where uh, even though we knew what the Hedrons were by Rise of the Eldrazi, they're described differently in Zendikar just a couple sets before. Um, and then, um, you know, another story team picks up in Battle for Zendikar and uh, 
you know, we get a full explanation about the Eldrazi prison and uh, some clarifying details about other things. And then, uh, you know, we're, what, five years later and we're getting the McKinney Empire uh, added to the ancient history of this plane and the way things are uh, re-sculpted to accommodate that. But I think that's all been executed really well. I guess kudos to all the teams that have worked on these three uh, expeditions to Zendikar because uh, I really like how uh, seamless that all feels if you're just looking at it like within the diegesis. I kind of wondered how Nahiri feels about the fact that not only is the legacy of the core that she knew, but personally her legacy when she comes back to Zendikar is as these... Eldrazi monsters that that's how she's remembered is the same thing as these monsters that she was fighting and not only that as a terrible oppressor that people only remember well yeah sure <laughs> people only remember the fact that um these ancients um enslaved the people of Zendikar that's the only thing they remember that they built castles and they enslaved people that is the only legacy she left and that had to be a hard pill to swallow Honestly, I don't think she's cared enough about the locals to swallow that pill yet. <laughs> um, but uh, I, th- I think this is a good lead in to our second story called Hunger, which, uh, you know, the our, our other two side stories are about the commander face cards, Obun and Anawan. This story uh, by Brandon O'Brien, who is great uh, writer, poet, uh, they're a game designer, uh, been a Twitter mutual of mine for a while. Fantastic person to follow. Wrote this story. Uh, I Again, reiterating, I love this structure because it's gotten, what, uh, four new authors into Magic, which is pretty cool. Given a lot of opportunities for uh, especially a lot of minority authors, um, which is wonderful. Anyway. So this story begins in the free city of Namana, which is one of my favorite place names on Zendikar because, uh, you know, they boast, we're a free city. We're not ruled by the vampires. You know, you can be your own person here. And it's like, you know, it's there's no greater hive of scum and villainy type place. It's, it's cute. ruled by it's, it's like cute. terrible crime bosses and warlords. And, and the fact that this is where it's kind of like a vampire meat market. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So this starts with this mysterious messenger walking the streets, uh, looking for a specific adventuring party. And uh, he finds a swordsman named Tarsa. I believe he's human. I think that was clarified. I don't remember if Tarsa's species was actually clarified. Point is, finds Tarsa, this um, swordsman for hire, and his adventuring crew. And uh, stalking silently behind is Anawan, who, uh, known as the Ruined Sage and now the Ruined Thief. He is, uh, I don't know, Jenny, how would you describe Anawan in a couple sentences? He is the man to go to for answers. Uh, You just may leave without your life. (laughs) But before that, you'll get some good information and some really great fun facts about Kor. (laughs) No, really, I'm not. I'm not talking about Core Cheese. He spent his whole life studying Core. He didn't know it at that point, but uh, he did. Uh, yeah, he's he's a big nerd, uh, is what he is. Which which is like, I love the duality of like, I'm a vampire with superhuman strength and magical prowess, but I'm using everything in my power to be a freaking dork and learn about history, um, which is valid, and we appreciate him for that. So he's a he's completely defined by this duality which once you finish the uh once we get to the end of the story i'll go into that a little bit more but he does have this really hilarious duality um which i'm glad because it's really well defined by blue and black which is what his Mm -hmm. colors are now so that's just super cute Mm -hmm. uh so he follows along and watches this meeting unfold so um this mysterious man wants to hire tarsa and his three party members for this expedition and tarsa is like Sorry, Bucko, we lost one of them back on Andu. Uh, and uh, Anawan gets excited at the mention of Andu because that's where he wants to go. A core named Nadino is very upset by this. Uh, there's like kind of a hint that this might have been Nadino's partner that died, although it's not, it's not really explicit. 
but Nidino is very upset and they are very aggressive towards this uh, this mysterious person who uh, wants to hire them to go to the Skyclave on Drawar Isle and kill Grackmaw, a murderous hydra that is preventing people from exploring the Skyclave and looting it and such. Unsurprisingly, that's how they lost their uh, party member their last time they were there. So they, they want revenge. And so they're like, yeah, we'll do it. And Anawan is getting really excited in this dark alley and starts taking out his notes when the uh, third member of the party, Eret, who's an elf, uh, sneaks up behind him and uh, he drops all his papers all over the floor because he's a nerd. And the elf is like, hey, take down your hood, bloodsucker. And uh, everyone is really suspicious of Anawan and they recognize him specifically because <laughs> nobody wants to work with him. Uh, just, Just like... It's just funny. Like nobody can stand him. Everyone hates him. No one wants them wants him around. And it's for a, a variety of different, like independent, different reasons. Uh huh. <laughs> and so Anawan's like, "Look, I want to go on the expedition. You're down a party member. I don't. I will take minimal money. I just ask to study, and uh, you know, you can take any weapons, but otherwise, any like weird artifacts, I would like those. And I, I just want to do my little nerdy science stuff." This is actually how I got on the Vorthos cast, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, please, I won't be a bother. I should say that that's actually how I felt before this episode was, like, I'm sneaking up with all, like, I literally have, like, the insert from the Anawan Commander deck. I've got my art book open here, and I wrote pages <laughs> I of notes. I literally saved the insert because I was like, this is some good Anawan lore. I'm pretty sure it's duplicated somewhere it's else. It's literally but... just, like, verbatim from the consortium report, but, like, hey. But I felt like any second now, Carrie's going to come up behind me and put me in a chokehold. <laughs> <laughs> so they agree to take Anawan with them. They do need another party member. And it's like, whatever, he's not taking any money, really. Uh, I think they said like 5% of the of the pay, which is like nothing. Uh, so they, uh, they, they have a chartered boat to draw our aisle, uh, which uh, the party brings along their gnarled pet named Jolly. And they bully Anawan the whole time, uh, as is appropriate because he's a big nerd. He's used to it. He he seems to not even really be that. Like he seems to, like he doesn't really care that much. Like it only minorly bothers him a little bit. He's just so used to that at this point. Dude got physically beat up by Chandra, and she's like two feet tall. So and everyone else. Yes. <laughs> so uh, they get to draw our aisle, and you know. The Fadoon, which are these um, mysterious uh, head-shaped carvings, start speaking to him. And he gets, like, spooked, and they're making fun of him. But then they're at the bottom of this cliff, and they're like, well, we'll camp here and climb the cliff in the morning. And Adelon's like, okay, but the ruins are up there. I want to go see the ruins. And, like, hauls the entire party up, because, again, vampire with super strength. And gets, like, really, really excited and starts uh, deciphering the ancient core language which is uh, also a map he's doing a bunch of little sage work uh and then they hear a roar which is not good because that's grackmaw who is like comes out of this tunnel and and starts attacking and because grackmaw like has lived in the skyclave for like six thousand years in the dark um it senses prey by heat and so they're like hey uh, what is this? Nadino, who I guess is a wizard, just confirms that they're a wizard because they they cast a an ice spell and and bury everyone in snow. Everybody chill. <laughs> and uh, Grackma can't find them. Figures there's no food. It got away and, and goes back into the sky clave. And uh, in the process, Anawan bonks his head and starts bleeding, uh, and uh, takes out a vial of blood. And everyone freaks out like. Yo, where do you get that blood? And Anawan's like, oh, you know, I just took it out of the bugs and the little vermin that are crawling around the skyclave. It was really easy. And uh, slurps some down and it heals his wounds really quickly. And uh, Tarsa's arm is injured and uh, is having, he's having trouble bandaging it. And Anawan's like, oh, let me help you with my magic. And Tarsa's like really standoffish. is like, hey, vampire, no, don't suck my blood. 
And he's like, fine, just let me do your bandage. And he does the bandage really nice. And Tarsa's like, oh, actually, thank you. I appreciate that. And then Anawan nerds out about what the Skyclave is. And uh, this is a Skyclave that was built as a research facility uh, for weapons, which excites the adventurers. And turns out it's bioweapons. And the Ancient Corps probably are the people who created Grackmaw, which is not smart. No, not at all. And uh, so Anawan takes them to this room that functions like a lab where they would have been able to, like, test Grackmaw's abilities. Uh, And there's all these papers and vials, and he's, like, researching. He's pretty satisfied, but the group is like, hey, we want to kill this thing. And so they they shout out and lure it into this room. And they're trying to fight Grackmaw, and uh, as Hydra fights tend to go, they are chopping off heads and they're growing back, and they are not able to overcome Grackmaw. And Anawan is like, hold on, I'll be right back, and runs away and starts digging through paperwork and vials. And because of all this work he's done studying um, the Skyclave and the ruins and the experiments, uh, he he grabs a vial and goes up onto the high ground and calls Grackmaw to Grackmaw to him, and right before he gets eaten, he opens this file. It's over, Grackmaw. I have the high ground. (laughs) (laughs) And opens this file, and uh, the magic that pours out nullifies Grackmaw's entire biology and turns him solid into stone, or a stony substance, and kills him. And through the power of science and education, Anawan saves the day. Uh, and as they're leaving with their Grackmaw heads in tow as their prizes, Anoan is like, you know, this is really nice. I got to find and learn a bunch of things, but more importantly, I found people that it feels good to belong with. And Tarsa is like, look, Anoan, you turned out to be pretty okay, and anytime you want to adventure with us, you are welcome. And that's the very happy ending to this story. Choking up a little bit. And the real treasure is the friends we made along the way. There it is. So I really liked that Anawan did use like a like a spell grenade because that has historically been his MO. He I guess he he ran out of teeth, which would have been a lot funnier <laughs> if Chris was on this episode. That's not a joke. I know, that's the worst part. Get those teeth from the Merfolk trader. That he keeps in his hair. He's a tooth lich. Yeah, he keeps, so he used to, well, I guess, like, he used to keep these teeth, like, in his hair. Like, they were stored in his hair, and they were magic, and they were, like, grenades, and they had various little purposes. And I do love the scene where, okay, so my shot caller's going off from talking about teeth, but I love when they meet this merfolk, and Nissa tries to, like, trade for some water. She's like, well, uh, Anawan's got these, like, merfolk teeth we could trade you. And then they immediately have to murder that guy, because Nissa just told him. That they stole merfolk teeth out of a merfolk mouth. It's book wild shit. That whole book. I mean, all all of Winter Meets work is like along those lines where it's just like none of it really makes sense, but you kind of get from point A to point B at the very end, and then you're just like, I guess that happened. <laughs> I don't know. Anawan's like legitimately the most relatable character. He like was very very convinced that he was right during the original block. He was right. And then he hid away for like a year or two. And then he came back and was like, look, I know y'all hate me, but I kind of want to go out again. <laughs> well, see, here's the here's the problem with that, Carrie. He was right. So his plan was to release the Eldrazi and then Nissa would burk them. Well, it worked. It took a long time, but damn it, it worked. It took a long, long time. Wow. Playing the long con here. Yeah, he's reviled on Zendikar for being, like, what, a fail, like, the whole, uh, Tanahas Allegedly. Assassination, death, murder, alleged, whatever it was. He allegedly killed alleged. him. Yes. His, uh, his dad. Yeah, so, failed there, kind of failed at, like, helping any vampire as other ever release the Eldrazi. Nobody likes him, everybody hates him. Except Nissa. Nissa likes him. Yeah. I mean, she buried him and used him as Emrakul bait, but before that, they they had they had some nice chemistry. She kind of thought he was, like, kind of, like, ugly cute. <laughs> oh, boy. It's, it, yeah, the whole, um, the whole arc Enoan has been on. And it does, 
in the same way that they really didn't know how to deal with Anawan during Battle for Zendikar because everything was so focused on Eldrazi and solving that problem and getting the Gatewatch together. Like, being able to pick up on Anawan's story in Zendikar 3 to kind of resume where his life has been while also having, like, clearly the impacts of his amp absence during set two or block two of Zendikar. It's pleasant, honestly. It's just, like, a good development to his character. His card is infinitely better as a result. His original card sucked, so... <laughs> well, appropriately so, sure, yeah. Yeah, it, it. I mean, it didn't represent his abilities at all. No. I don't think anybody going into the book, or that finished the book, would be like, okay, well, that makes sense, because Anawan was not the one murking their party. But, you know, that's just what you have to deal with when you're a flavor fan. I, w I was really disappointed that he was not in Battle for Zendikar, because I was convinced that he would be. Due to the fact that he was the his whole entire role in um, in the in the first uh, in the first block and in the novel and the reason that he didn't get much character development was because he was sort of there as a narrator like he understood he knew that Soren was a planeswalker he knew Nissa was a planeswalker he knew how the Hedrons worked he knew what the Eldrazi were and he's there to sort of like slowly feed that information to Nissa and so the fact that they spent all of Battle for Zendikar being like how do the hedron networks work what is going on here and ignoring the one person who probably had the best lead on it especially since he knew three of them personally it's difficult to like i definitely understand why he was omitted there just because they had like i'm sure we could go into it on like a whole dedicated episode but the uh revisions and retcons that have taken place across the zendikar blocks are like astounding and that they've managed to fit it all together into a place where it's like oh well you can see the skyclaves like totally make sense and the ancient core empire totally makes sense and anawan being gone totally makes sense like that is full credit to the current writing staff that they are the current freelance writers that they have working on magic story because they've absolutely saved that i do enjoy how much of the um the lore from original Zendikar was kind of salvaged because during Battle for Zendikar a lot of it was like well we're just gonna forget that all of that happened and <laughs> exactly. some of it I kind of liked Anawan's like Anawan is admitting in story like hey I was pretty pretty wrong about who the Eldrazi were <laughs> but like that's chill because everybody was technically wrong once you uh finished reading in the teeth of the coom well except Anawan he was he was right just in principle in principle, not in any details whatsoever. <laughs> it, it's, like, just genuinely satisfying to have, like, a kind of full wrap on what Zendikar... Like, even though we're not spending that much time on the plane, we're spending one set and, like, these nine stories. Like, it's still entertaining to be able to have some of those holes filled that we had definitely been missing for quite a while because I think everybody went into this being like well how are they going to explain like the Eldrazi having been bound with or being like able to control the Hedrons or whatever and it's like they were able to write it off in the end it just took them quite literally 11 or 12 years to get around to that point so this story in particular felt like old Zendikar uh, exactly. broadly um, in in a way like the Obun story didn't because Obun was, Obun was not a character we had stayed with um, and then happened like 6,000 years ago although brought Sarkar back so I guess that feels a little bit like old Zanakar but like the just just like the even just the mood of this set where you have um, this expedition team where you know someone is here for money someone is here for vengeance uh, someone is here for knowledge and it feels like an expedition party going on an adventure and then uh, all their different desires lining up to finish a story so they all get what they want and it's uh, uh, it's really satisfying I think. The construction of the story is at its core very simple. Nobody likes Anawan he does good things and now some people like him and that's good and that turns out is what he wanted and and everything it's it's all the details in this story that 
really make that work. All the little interpersonal interactions, the way, like, I know we did the story summaries, but, like, this is a story where, like, I implore you, go read the story. Please, please, please go read the story. Um, the characterizations are fantastic. Like, again, Anawan is a vampire. He could murder this entire party in five minutes if he really put effort in and wasn't a huge dweeb. But he's a huge dweeb. So, like, it just it just balances out, like, he's just such an interesting character. And, and to see him portrayed so innocently... And, um, I don't, I don't even know what, like, so there was, there was a way I got excited for the first main series story when Jace gets all, like, crazy about doing the puzzles. It's like, yes, it's puzzle time! I love that part about Jace. Uh, Anawan is similar in that regard, and Anawan here is just, like, just nerds out about stuff he loves, about lore he loves, which is, like, you know, we're on episode 132 of this podcast, so, like, in our own way, like, we're all little Anawans. I thought that um, this story was did a very good job of capturing that, like, duality that you see, not just with Anawan, but also with all of the the vampire allies that you have on, um, on Zundikar, where they may have these aspirations of joining the rest of society, they may have these interests outside of uh, murder, but they're also still bound by that curse where they, they can't really get away from their nature. We got a lot of that from uh, Drana in the Battle for Zendikar story where, uh, you know, she's still a vampire and like nobody in the Zendikari army wants to ally with her. But she's literally fighting for her freedom, um, fighting for her ability for her and her people to be separate from their overseers. And there's this, like, really noble sense of justice in that, uh, which is really contrasted with, hey, I'm a blood-sucking vampire. And yeah, I definitely agree that, like, Anawan plays up similar kind of dualities in really interesting ways. And uh, yeah, the story is great. I really liked it. I'm sure I'll, once we get around to recapping how this whole story structure and methodology has gone down for Zendikar Rising. I feel like a lot of the stories have, and this has been true for a lot of Magic's history, a lot of Magic's freelance writer-driven history, is you can have isolated, very, very emotionally driven stories that, like, are extremely satisfying. And that was part of the allure of, like, Ixalan Block is being able to have a single character arc that kind of went throughout the entire dozen stories in that block and had like a satisfying resolution that was intended from the start. I don't know how magic can sustainably do that. Like when you like sustainably do that, I guess beyond just the set itself and even within the set itself, it struggled for like such a long time. Look at war of the spark where it's like, very very difficult to get any kind of uh sandwich any emotional moments into an otherwise like action-packed novel and very very busy and complicated novel when you're able to have like these one-off legend stories that actually tell a story that is like feels like it has an actual message and an actual theme to it that is infinitely more satisfying but at the same time i just have no idea how they're able to like do that in the same way that a TV series has, like, full season arcs, full series arcs, like, larger scale, having too many hands in the pot may actually be a hindrance to that. And I don't know. That's that's Magic's eternal struggle, is whether you stick with one writer or one writing team or move to a whole bunch of f freelance writers and have a whole bunch of independent stories that spin off. It's difficult to say. Gosh, that sounds like a really good thing to talk about next week. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, I feel like I'm just going to overflow on that episode because I have so many thoughts on this, but like you mm -hmm. hit it on the head with this Anawan story in particular. It's like, I wish I could have this a dozen times over and then have that be the whole Zendikar Rising story. <laughs> but at the same time, like, I realize that there's limitations to what kind of stories magic can tell. 
and if there's any way to troubleshoot that in the future like i'm fully interested in them testing that because they've tested every other approach and it's been difficult to execute i am not in a position to say anything yeah so, uh just you know why jay has not been here for these story weeks because jay has worked on all these stories and uh wants to stay away from this kind of discussion yeah any thoughts i have i'm saving for next week uh th- this episode is already uh pretty lengthy oh, yeah. so uh, Our... yeah we're we're gonna head into final thoughts you know my my only real final thought for this week is uh if if you like wizards of the coast products you can do early access play for Baldur's gate 3 right now uh which has been pretty fun i'm enjoying it a lot playing a tiefling rogue yeah i'm, I'm not gonna go into much detail because like i said we ran long but yeah if, if, if you like D, go check that out my final thought is I have a new word of the day. It's uh, digest or gosh. Diegesis. Yes, diegesis. The relaying of information in a fictional work, such as film or no- novel, through a narrative, or the fictional world in which the events of a narrative occur. Thank you, Lorelai, because I had never heard this word before, and today I learned something new that I wasn't expecting to learn. So that's really cool. I have a literary studies degree. My final thought is, for being the premier Magic Captain podcast, we we have done astoundingly little discussion of the Captain format. But I look forward to it next week. I don't. I don't. I'm not even going to touch any jokes on this because uh, they're they're not tasteful. Uh, Jenny, final thoughts. Um, my final thought is that. Anuan is responsible for the formation of the Gatewatch. Not accepting any feedback on that, so uh, <laughs> you're welcome, multiverse. Hi, this is Ashley. What's up? Oh, hi, Ashley. Hey, oh, Ashley. Welcome. I can't hear you. Oh. I was yeah. about to say I'm not confident that she can hear us. They said hi. <laughs> now I feel like a dunce. If y'all listeners out there like learning new things, if you are also little Anawans, you can head over to patreon.com slash the Vorthos cast and help support our show and, and keep our show running so we can continue teaching you new things about magic and uh, apparently literary criticism. Um, and I'm sure other things along the way because we all have real lives outside of magic. I say that as if literally all I do for work is work on magic right now, so... Sort of don't. Don't worry about it. Uh, but, uh, you know, we have Orthoses from around the world uh, on our Patreon, and they all get access to our Discord community where people are talking about, uh, you know, you know, like I mentioned, there's some Baldur's Gate 3 talk. Uh, we're still talking about the finale of these stories. And uh, Commander Legends previews were pushed back like a week or two, whatever it is. Boo. But we're still excited about those. Yeah, I know, Brian, boo. We, we're all very excited for those. It's like our entire cast, most anticipated product of the year. Yeah, you know, we, we would love to have more people join our community. And so everyone who uh, donates on Patreon gets access to that. So uh, thank you all for listening. This has been the Borthos Cast.